What is it about the murder of a celebrity journalist by a Saudi hit squad that has really, truly caught the world's attention? I mean, what is it about this case? Because it's well known that Saudi Arabia has been one of the nastiest regimes in the world. I mean, it's not new. This is a country that does not blink an eye over its treatment of women, does not blink an eye over things like beheading people, jailing those who even dare speak out against their archaic rules. I mean, they they commit terror all over the world, including 9-11. They started a war in Yemen that has killed 60,000 people. They created one of the worst famines in the region. Disease like cholera is now a thing. I mean, but even with all that, it's kind of met with a shrug. Terry Glavin has written a terrific piece in McLean's pointing out all of this and that it might just be who this celebrity journalist was and who he was related to that got the world's attention. You know, but what do we do? Terry Glavin joins me now to explain. Mr. Glavin, you've written a terrific piece for McLean's. um, And I think it's interesting because you point out it was this particular uh, journalist that seemed to make the world take notice, despite the fact that Saudi Arabia has never been nice, never been a good actor. Yeah, and in fact, most recently, um, under the guardianship of uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, it's been particularly and especially vicious and awful. Um, he's 32 years old. Um, he has caused a war in Yemen. He's waging war in Yemen. It's killed 60,000 Yemenis over the past two years. He uh, It's caused what the United Nations called uh, the worst cholera, cholera epidemic in nearly 70 years, driven the country to the brink of the worst famine in a century. He imposed a capricious blockade of Qatar and uh, actually kidnapped the Lebanese prime minister a while back and tried to force him to resign. And then uh, once the Lebanese prime minister got out of his clutches and got home, he says, no, I actually didn't resign. He's disappeared dozens and dozens of human rights activists and feminists and free thinkers into his dungeons. He's basically an Arab Tony Soprano, and I don't think we should be all that shocked uh, by the... uh, accusation that he has, he ordered the murder of uh, Jamal uh, Hashaji, who everybody agrees, including the Saudis, was murdered in the consulate in uh, Istanbul. This is an interesting um, fella. I mean, he's not just a journalist. He's part of the Washington elite. This is a guy who celebrities loved him, as you point out in the article. This is someone who was really part of the um, cocktail circuit. Why yeah. is that what it took to get this, you know, the bad behavior of Saudi Arabia noticed? Because I thought maybe September 11th would be enough. Well, I think it's actually unfair to blame the Saudis for September 11th. Certainly that most of the people involved were Saudi citizens, but uh, they were not friends of the Saudi royal, royal family. Um, the, the curious thing about this story, you know, I was talking to my old boss at the Ottawa Citizen the other day, uh, who's since moved on, and he was uh, my editor when I broke the Alan Curdy story. You may remember mm-hmm. he was that little boy on yep. the beach, the little Syrian boy, uh, whose election. family had hoped to, uh, to uh, get him to Canada, and the applications uh, for uh, his asylum and his family's asylum was still sitting on the desk of his auntie in um, 
in Coquitlam, British Columbia, because of the difficulties that she was having with a completely ridiculous policy uh, that the minister and his officials uh, themselves had admitted were was a ridiculous policy. Um, and so the little boy died. And the curious thing is about that event, uh, it's kind of similar. I mean, I was saying to, to my former editor that Jamal uh, Hashaji is Alan Kurdi. It's the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. 30,000 Syrian kids had been killed by Bashar Assad, for the most part by Bashar Assad, by the time that little boy died on, was found dead on the beach. And similarly, there's been this absolute carnage and mayhem and barbarism mm-hmm. that uh, Prince bin Salman has been involved with. And yet, for some strange reason, it took the murder of Hashaji before anybody sort of noticed. And, and there's, you know, there's reasons for that that, uh, that um, are, are sinister and awful, um, not least, you know, if this rich guy comes to the United States, he meets with Oprah Winfrey, yeah. he goes to, you know, dinner at uh, Rupert Murdoch's place. 60 Minutes did uh, a huge profile on him. Yeah, and everybody thinks he's sort of this great reformer, which was really strange, because while he was doing this, he was also slaughtering all those Yemenis and throwing those feminists in prison. Um, so there's sinister reasons for it, but I think there's also, a, you know, a human... Our brains are patterned for storytelling. And, you know, if you can put a human face on something, this is a really compelling story. The man, uh, you know, was going to the, the consulate in Istanbul to get documents so that he could marry a woman, a Turkish woman. She was waiting outside the consulate. Mm-hmm. He never came out. And all this grisly stuff straight out of The Sopranos about, you know, this whack, you know, get him getting whacked and cut into pieces and the use of a bone saw. <laughs> and the other thing I think we should keep our eye on is to remember that all of this information was carefully and strategically leaked to the Western media, uh, which was really quite hideously manipulated by this story. So it's not as clear-cut as everybody would like, by uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, the strongman president of Turkey, through his government-controlled press. So, you know, when Donald Trump started making noises about fake news in this instance, it's probably the most credible claim that Donald Trump has ever made, about fake news, because that's all of those uh, two particular newspapers in Turkey are basically known for. Um, So it's a complicated story, and the only real reason we're having the conversation and that we know about it is because there's an immense power struggle occurring in what is sometimes called the Muslim world or the Arab world at the moment. And it's not just Iran and Saudi Arabia, or Sunni and Shia. Uh, Erdogan is emerging as a, as a new Ottoman caliph. He's really trying to sort of revive the caliphate, mm-hmm. the old Ottoman caliphate. Um, and, uh, you know, he's sort of like a marriage between a Muslim Brotherhood-type theocrat and a Vladimir Putin-type uh, police state gangster autocrat. Uh, you know, he's changed the constitution. He's basically making himself president for life, as Putin did. Um, 
And as Xi Jinping has done, it's a you know a subtle pattern begins to emerge with these guys. Um, so there's a lot going on in this story, and it's quite textured. Um, but you know, you take whatever whatever opportunity you can, and I you know this does present I think people who care about human rights, mm-hmm. people who regard the Arab people as human beings, uh, to uh, to to punish this guy. I mean, he's be- he's basically another Saddam Hussein. And I'm talking about uh, Prince bin Salman. So whatever opportunities present themselves uh, to break this this uh, this uh, sort of gated community of tyrants that have impunity these days to do whatever they want, I think we should take that opportunity and we should make him we should make him hurt. And how do you do that? So, I mean, you point out there are many failures. The Obama administration, what they yep. um, contributed. We've got a president right now who doesn't seem to to have um, a proper reaction or any reaction at all. But then our prime minister, you know, what should, uh, and I don't have a lot of time left, but what should and can the reaction be? Well, whatever we do, I think the first thing we need to remember is we have to stand in common with our allies, and we cannot depend on the United States anymore or Britain. Not saying we should write them off. But uh, they are not reliable allies at the moment. Britain is just a total mess. So is the United States. We have people in the European Union who might be able to collaborate on some kind of a joint plan. But these guys, you know, China, Iran, the Saudis, they tend to pick us off one by one. So whatever we do, I think we should do in common with people. And we also do not have to sever our relationship entirely with the Saudis um, in order to have some effect. There's a possibility. I mean, my God, there's 13,000 of these so-called princes uh, in Saudi Arabia. Bin Salman is only one of them. Um, It looks like what may happen is that eventually, because of the revulsion and and disgust in the democratic world, that... um, uh, his uh, he, that, that that the king, his father, might actually decide to, you know, send him off on his yacht somewhere and choose somebody else to run the country. Well, it's a fascinating story, and I thank you so much. I mean, it's not an easy story to tell. Certainly, there's many more chapters, but I uh, I really appreciate you joining us on this. Good talking to you. That is Terry Glavin. You can read his latest in McLean's magazine. There'll certainly be a number of other chapters written, but it'll you know it'll be interesting to see if. In six months, you know, will anything change? Will any action have been taken? I'm not so sure. This is Alex Pearson. You're listening to Global News Radio.